verified. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and so very glad to have you along for the ride, no matter where you're listening from, especially since it is Friday night. We are live broadcasting at WCETFM in beautiful Columbia, South Carolina. We're going live over the airwaves over at thelastfrequency.com, and we are certainly enjoying being part of the K-Star Talk Radio Network, where we are also live, which means, through them, we're also going out on TalkStream Live, and Right Talk and Irish Radio. So if you're listening on any one of those locations live, welcome aboard. Thank you so very much. And if you happen to be hanging out over at the MeWe Last Frequency chat room, like Arizona Antihero, affectionately abbreviated as AS, glad to have you guys along. And uh, if you're not over there, come on, uh, sign up. Uh, it's free to be part of MeWe. Uh, just sign in. 
find the last frequency group and uh you know chat hang out with as and uh you know uh, all that fun stuff all right so lots of stuff going on we're we're jam-packed with guests today i am uh, scheduled to be joined by guy mitchell uh by maxine albert by ken crow and by ian Pryor. so we're gonna have a lot of conversation going on tonight no big surprise there but got to start with what is inevitably the biggest story of the last little bit we'll cover a lot of other things but before we get into any of that good news guys four patriots is back they are sponsoring the show and i've got to start right off right now telling you about a major issue a serious problem but one that four patriots just might be able to help you out with i see doug's Got his recently purchased for Patriot item. Got himself some uh, lights there, solar powered, and they look pretty cool from here. Anyway, we're working on something a little different. We're talking about what experts are telling us right now about what's going on in China. You see, China is hoarding a massive amount of food. They'll soon have, according to their estimates, over two-thirds of the world's reserves of corn. Over half of the world's reserve of rice and more than half of the world's reserve of wheat. According to some of these same experts, we can't expect China to tell the truth. So these estimates are more likely than not to be lower than what is true. So what is it that China knows that we don't? Well, when it comes to global food shortages, China is the canary in the coal mine. You see, China is the world's number one food importer. They rely on the rest of the world to keep their people fed. So they can't afford to mess up on that. They have to be prepared. Over a billion people, they start rioting. If there's civil panic, there's no telling where that ends. The CCP isn't about to let that happen. So what does that mean for Americans like you and me? Well, two words, my friend, food shortages. And that's why it's a smart idea to stock up on the kit of the best-selling Four Patriots survival food. You literally can create your own stockpiles based out of the various types of survival food kits they have available. All of them are hand-packed in the USA. The kits are compact, they stack easily, and they have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. Not to mention a ton of five-star reviews that rave about flavor and taste, which, you know, I kind of always thought was the same thing, but maybe not. <laughs> anyway, right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase of a Four Patriots survival food package by typing in the code TAP, that's T-A-P-P, at checkout. Just go to fourpatriots.com, use code TAP, T-A-P-P, to get 10% off your first purchase of Four Patriots Survival Food. That's the number four, patriots.com. Use promo code TAP, T-A-P-P. Okay, with that out of the way, what do you say we get to what's going on in Manhattan? See, if you've been under a rock, maybe you didn't hear, but... Late Thursday evening, the grand jury decided to vote for indictments against Donald John Trump. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Evidently, we're still somehow talking about charges that are related to the nearly seven-year-old alleged payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. Various legal experts, of course, have weighed in on the legitimacy of the indictment and its chances in court. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I would also like to ask you to go back and listen to last Friday's live show in the show archives and listen to my conversation with Mr. John O'Connor, who is a former U.S. Uh, attorney. And it was his legal expertise that we were discussing the case against Trump then. Anyway, this indictment against Trump is sealed by the Office of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. It reportedly contains more than 30 criminal charges against the former president. He is scheduled to be have his initial hearing, his arraignment, uh, this coming Tuesday. We'll see how that plays out. Now, rather well-known, you could say famous, attorney Alan Dershowitz, who represented Trump in his first impeachment trial. He was talking to Fox News, and he said, quote, any first-year student could win this case if the name wasn't Donald Trump and if it wasn't in Manhattan. He added that uh, it has to get out of Manhattan. Now, it's a shame that we now live in a time where we recognize that justice may not be served based on where the court is being held at. Now, we've all had the, the discussions in the past. We've talked about a multitude of times what's required for you to get a fair trial. And fairness is what everyone should be wanting for. Even if you're a Trump hater, and heaven help you if you are, because this Trump derangement syndrome, uh, it may be the very worst form of leftist insanity. But the Trump derangement syndrome, if it puts you to a point where you no longer recognize the importance of due process, then what does that really say about you? Does that really mean that you think everybody but Trump should have due process? No, no, no. You see, the leftists don't believe in due process. So if you're a, a regular, ordinary citizen of this country and you're thinking that, well, they're just going after Trump because he must be guilty of something, that's not the role of the judiciary. The role of the judiciary is to try crimes that have been investigated, not men that are being investigated for crimes. It, it's literally turning our system on its head. You can't expect to receive due process if we're not going to give it to anyone. If there's one person you don't want to give it to, no one is going to get it. Now, it may not happen right off the bat, but you have already taken that step down the so-called slippery slope. Scott Greenfield, a defense attorney in New York, who, of course, is no fan of Trump, he was speaking to the Daily Wire, and he said that it was impossible to truly comment on the indictment until it's unsealed. Well, I guess legitimately, if you're an attorney and you believe in due process, then you may believe that you should handle all of this by the book. And technically, that would be correct. Greenfield did, however, add that 
if the indictment is what has been discussed and what's expected, there are serious doubts the case will survive a motion to dismiss, and certainly serious doubts that it will result in a conviction, meaning that he still has faith that the judge is going to do the right thing upon the case being filed. I think Dershowitz made the case that he's been in that particular district enough to realize you can't count on that. William A. Jacobson, a Cornell Law professor and the founder of the conservative legal blog Legal Insurrection, which is a fantastic blog, by the way, if you haven't been following any time, any time a law a court case of any kind is a major news story. If you're not at least getting some of your information on it at Legal Insurrection, you are missing some of the best legal coverage that exists. Now, Jacobson, uh, he echoed the same sentiment, saying that unless there are some surprise, this appears to be a politically motivated, legally questionable uh resurrection of stale misdemeanor charges bootstrapped into a felony using a highly unusual legal theory. Glenn Reynolds, law professor at the University of Tennessee College of Law and a conservative blogger also, noted that Bragg faces no consequences for bringing bad or unfounded charges. A lot of what I was saying to uh, John O'Connor last Friday he only has a political upside for him and no negatives. He's not going to be hurt in any way, even if it's just tossed out, but he's still going to get to claim he was the first person to bring an indictment against Trump. And that works very, very well for a guy who has eyes at a different political office. Most people seem to think he wants to be governor of New York. I don't know if that's his next step, but I don't doubt that that's probably not in his 10-year plan. See, it doesn't cost them anything if they lose. In our polarized nation right now, to find juries hostile to people from the other side, it's not that hard. The charge in this case seems absurd. But to see Democratic friends on social media literally popping champagne, well, let's just say that... Uh, it produced, it produced the result that the party and the media wanted so far. They're going to be disappointed when it falls through, but they're still going to feel as if they're making some progress. All right. Well, I can't go on about that anymore without getting overly emotional. However, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and Doug, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that we are ready to be joined by our first guest uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome to the show a first-time guest. He's the author of Global Warming, The Great Deception. He happens to be a member of the Pi Tau Sigma, the International Honor Society for Mechanical Engineers. And uh, he actually received a Distinguished Engineer Fellow at the College of Engineering from the University of Alabama back in 1995. And this new book, well, this book, his book, Global Warming, The Great Deception, The Triumph of Dollars and Politics Over Science and Why You Should Care, well, 
it lays out the case that we've been concerned about for a long time. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Guy, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I greatly appreciate your time. How are you today? Well, I'm well, and thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the program. Well, I'm, uh, I'm certainly very uh, happy to have you. And I like the fact that it seems like most of the real science that's being correlated and brought together and put out for public consumption is coming from areas that you typically wouldn't think would be uh, having their finger on the pulse of climate science. It's, in your case, engineers. I know a lot of uh, uh, people that are geologists that are trying to do this. They know science. They know the science uh, method, the scientific method. They, they know how to read the data points. They can't be fooled, and they know how to cut through the doublespeak. So you're part of a generation of truth tellers. But this is a topic I have to ask. How is it that you were drawn to the climate change, global warming deception in the first place? Well, that's a great question. About, interestingly, it was a very serendipitous encounter about, oh, I guess now six years ago, in June of 2017, I attended a dinner party uh, in the mountains of North Carolina and um, I was seated at the table with a friend of mine who is a professor at a local college. <clears throat> and I asked him, what were the challenges of teaching the kids today? To which he responded, well, a lot of them just won't accept the truth about certain subjects. And I said, well, what would those be? And he said, well, like global warming, for instance, and that 97% of the people in the world believe in global warming. Well, <clears throat> I had studied mechanical engineering. I majored in thermodynamics, and thermodynamics is a branch of physics that deals with the transfer of heat. It's, uh, it's more comprehensive than that, but probably 70% of the operation of the universe is controlled by the laws of thermodynamics, 20% by the laws of electrodynamics, and then probably 10% classic mechanics. So. I had extensive training in the field, and uh, but I didn't respond to his question. And after a pause, uh, everybody at the table looked down to where I was seated, and, they, and he said, well, guys, surely you believe, as do 97% of the scientists, that man's caused global warming. And that started me on an odyssey of exploring the global warming hypothesis, which I now term the fraudulent global warming hypothesis, and I'll explain that. But uh, my interest had been in theoretical physics and primarily in particle physics and what uh, CERN was doing at the Large Hadron Collider in, in Geneva, Switzerland. So it was, a, it was a diversion for me, but it was a very interesting one. All right, so... As you delved in, though, how long did it take you to figure out, based on the data that you were seeing, that maybe the consensus wasn't necessarily based on the scientific data that was available? Exactly. Well, it was interesting. The first thing I did was research the claim that 97% of the world's scientists believe man caused global warming. And I researched the seminal work that was done by a former cartoonist in Australia and some of his colleagues 
for the Skeptical Science website, John Cook, and it was titled Quantifying the Consensus in Anthropogenic Global Warming, Man-Made Global Warming. And I, I learned, I read, when I read that it was, the, the, the work was structured, and I've read many research papers, and it was structured like a scientific research paper with the abstract and then the methodology and, and, and conclusion and so forth. And the thing that struck me immediately was they sent a survey out to 11,847 climate scientists and, and asked them the question, has man caused global warming? And 66% did not respond to the survey. 33% responded to the survey. 32% said they thought man had caused global, caused global warming. 1% said they didn't know. So they divided 32 by 33 and came up with 70, 97. And they totally ignored the fact that 66% of those surveyed didn't express an opinion on the most important issue in the history of climate science. Yeah, I, that's uh, certainly not uh, the way it's presented to the public when they talk about that consensus. No, no. And then, yeah. and then I did further research. I went to the website of every uh, uh, academic society like the British Royal Society, the um, Chinese Academy of Sciences, the Russian Academy of Sciences, the Helmholtz Institute in Germany, and I and I studied what they had to say about global warming, and with the exception of the French, who were all in from the beginning because of Francois Macron, uh, with the French guy, none of them endorsed the quote-unquote consensus. So, secondly, the the objective data refuted the claim. And then I was sucked into the vortex of global science. It's like entering the event horizon of a black hole. Once you do that, there's no escape. And I began to study it. I took about a year and a half, and I studied spectroscopy, which deals with the absorption and emission of uh, electromagnetic radiation by matter. I studied uh, quantum mechanics, which deals with what happens when a molecule of CO2 absorbs a long-range infrared photon in the 15 micron wavelength, which is what CO2, you know, can absorb from the Earth's uh, emissions from the Earth's surface, and then atmospheric physics. And every step of the way, every step of the way, my investigations revealed that this was the greatest scientific fraud in history. Yeah, it is astounding. You make the case, you start right out the gate explaining to everybody uh, how there's basically four different topics that really control the uh, the discussion. And, you know, again, that's one of those fears that we have. You point out the fact that, unfortunately, science plays a part, but it's only one part. 
that research funding is a major issue, that politics becomes part of it, and global economics is also a factor. And it seems like more often than not, especially given the way this topic's been treated, the funding is reliant on the politics. And the global economics is kind of put to the side for the countries that are still heavily dependent, the developed nations in particular, on utilizing the so-called carbon-based fuels to power their economies. Uh, why do we seem to have a disconnect between the politicians and the ideas of the harmfulness that happens when they don't allow economies to function like they should as developing countries are trying to develop and the developed countries are still working to improve the quality of life of not only their citizens but everyone else too through the use of cheap abundant energy uh, the man-caused climate uh, change uh, all these carbon fuels the the cheap abundant easily accessible usable fuels these forms of energy have been demonized uh, what is that disconnect well you're exactly right you've assessed it correctly the problem is is that <laughs> at the bottom line is it's all about the money uh science has been sacrificed on the altar of political opportunism for economic benefit. The UNIPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, which was formed in 1988, has promoted this fraudulent global warming hypothesis since that time. Now, the reason I say it's fraudulent is that if you look at the world's temperature databases, uh, the temperature of the troposphere, which is the first eight kilometers or about five miles of the atmosphere, the landmass, and the oceans, they depict no warming at all. And in particular, what's important about the fraudulent global man-made warming hypothesis is that the temperature of the troposphere, the first eight kilometers of the atmosphere, cooled from 1979 to 1998. And that's based on satellite readings using uh, microwave sounding technology. And so it's very accurate. It's the most accurate means we have to measure temperature. And that temperature decreased over a 20 year period while the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere was increasing. Now that falsifies a hypothesis anytime in science if you hypothecate, if you say that CO2 causes a warming of the atmosphere, and then you measure the temperature of the atmosphere, and it cools while the, while the concentration of CO2 increases, that, that falsifies, that renders false, that hypothesis. So it's, and, and the fact that the, the UNIPCC Certain world politicians and global investment firms continue to promote that hypothesis is is a fraud because they know that's not that 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 doesn't conform with the scientific method, and the reason is it's all about the money for the UNIPCC. It's about more money for funding and transferring wealth from the developed nations to the developing nations under the guise of addressing climate change, which has not been. Uh, 
you know, related to man-made activities. For certain world politicians like Francois Macron and France and Angela Merkel and Germany and Joe Biden in the U.S., it's all about controlling the electorate. They want to take away your gas stove, for God's sakes, and they want to take away your gas-fired water heater under the guise of addressing global warming. Now, for global investment firms, it's all about trading carbon credits and offsets and about investing in environmental, social, and governance investments, ESG investments, uh, so that woke people can feel better about their contribution to fighting climate change. It is absolutely the most ridiculous thing. I mean, as a scientist, which I consider myself to be, uh, it is the it's the greatest scientific fraud in history. It exceeds it exceeds the Piltdown Man in England, which which was present from 1901 to 1941, uh, where they thought they'd identified the the missing link, and it was a fraud. So this one is a fraud of orders of magnitude of greater uh, importance. Yeah, and that's just a small part of what can be found in the book. Uh, Guy, thank you so much for your time. I I hate to have to run because it feels like there's so much more we can talk about, but I have a feeling that uh, if we leave the audience wanting more, maybe we'll get a lot more folks to go pick up a copy of the book. Well, real quick. I hope so. You can can go to Amazon.com, and if you query Global Warming, the Great Deception, the book will come up. You can buy hardcover, ebook, paperback, or you can go to my website at www.globalwarmingdeception.com, and there you will not only be able to buy the book in various formats, but you can also see a lot of the research I've posted on there, as well as op-eds that I've written that absolutely refute this fraudulent global warming hypothesis. Why it's important is because if they reconfigure the power grid to put more renewables like wind and solar into the U.S. power grid that are unreliable and expensive, we are all going to suffer because we're going to have rolling blackouts. Our businesses will be non-competitive on the, on the world stage, and it will be like it is in Europe now where they are struggling with the energy crisis they face. All right. Well, certainly well worth the time and energy, and I hope everyone takes the time to follow that and check it out. And we will put a link in today's show description when we go to podcast so that nobody will miss out on that. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Godspeed to you. Thank and, you very uh, much. I enjoyed being with you. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Guy Mitchell. And uh, we'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name is Joe Biden. My name is Joe Biden. (laughs) My name is Joe Biden. Ever since I was born, American women have either claimed they are victims in a patriarchal society or they are mighty women who can do anything a man can do, not realizing that just like black Americans, women have been 
hoodwinked into claiming victimhood, much to their own peril. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards of today's page from the Edwards Notebook. A large number of both black Americans and women have loudly claimed varying degrees of victimhood or bounced to the other extreme, acting out masculine traits and boasting about how they can outperform any man, any place, any time. By doing so, I believe they set themselves up, playing right into the dirty hands of Democrats who, in my opinion, display great hostility and hatred toward those born as females. It's as if American women are now being forced to back up their many decades of selling societal wolf tickets as they howled at and even threatened docile American men. Now, with the support of leftist Democrats, some individuals who no longer want to be men in this anti-male society are encouraged to participate in women's sports and consistently beat females who, in many cases, were fooled into believing they were better than men at everything, including sports. Even Tulsi Gabbard recently stated that Democrats are trying to erase women as a category of people. I'm Ron Edwards. Join me live weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. The second's goal is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. These products are patented and proven. Second Skull is a protective headgear company. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap Into The Truth. Don't take my definite, don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so much for staying with us through that very brief break. Of course, ran a little long with the previous guest, which means we're running a little late bringing on my next guest. We are talking now to another first-time visitor to tap into the truth. Uh, we're talking to Maxine Albert, longtime partner of the author Curtis Ellis, who most of you are familiar with, unfortunately. Uh, Curtis died from his battle with cancer back in February of 2021, but Maxine has continued to pick up the mantle, and uh, she's here to talk to us about currently 
uh, a little bit about the current relationship with China and Russia and how that's continuing to evolve. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the book Pandemonium, China's Global Strategy to Cripple America uh, as we proceed with that. But before we get into anything at all, Maxine, first and foremost, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for being patient. And uh, above all, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, giving me a platform for this uh, great, really important message. Absolutely. I I absolutely uh, have been trying to make sure that people are aware of what's really transpiring for some time. And uh, it really does seem like despite the fact that a lot of people really do seem to know what's happening, there's still this major disconnect, especially between corporate America and the adversarial nature of China, how we seem to almost be funding our own demise. But uh, before we uh, before we jump into uh, any specific topics, I definitely wanted to get your overall take based on the research that uh, you're familiar with and all the work that you've done. What do you see actually transpiring right now between China and Russia? Well, you know, it's a great question. And uh, what, what Curtis Ellis wrote about in this book that, I mean, it's so, you know, at the time people were calling him an alarmist, and now his writings have been called prophetic, is that China and Russia are forging, have forged an alliance, and their main enemy is the United States. And pre- President Xi and Putin have just formed an alliance to take control of all the global technology to keep it, to change it, to make it the new standard, which would mean that they could control populations, they'll control elections. It's really scary. And General Milley, the the highest-ranking general, you know, that we have, he just said yesterday that China and Russia together are two malicious, large, dangerous actors that we have to stop. And to your point, when you first said, you know, it seems like the corporations um, are not doing this, well, it's all about the money, isn't it? I mean, Curtis Ellis saw that the reason we're in this situation today is because the corporations, Wall Street, and the government went with the money uh, and didn't think of the American people. Exactly to your point, uh, and in this book, Pandemonium, Curtis, it's not only a wake-up call, but Curtis gives a plan to change that, you know, a plan to cut off the power of China by decoupling and bringing our supply chains home. Yeah, and again, that's something that not just Curtis, but a good number of reasonable people of slightly higher than average intelligence that look at the actual data and they understood uh, I had nothing wrong I saw nothing wrong with the attempt initially to say okay if China is going to open up maybe we can introduce what it's like to, to have some financial independence and maybe that would lead to change but it was made very clear early on that that was never going to happen the CCP took over everything they still control every business even the businesses that profess to be private industry have to answer to them and it still leads me back to that disconnect because like you said uh, we got a lot of corporate entities that are heavily involved with china they're making a lot of money there but this is still only short-term gain that has a long-term 
uh, drawback. At the end of the day, it's not going to be profitable if we continue to finance our own demise. But it does seem like some of these bigger corporations that are involved, they seem to be run by uh, folks at the moment who've been indoctrinated by the leftist ideologies. And for these folks, a lot of them tend to look at the CCP as a role model. So they're perfectly content. They they probably believe that when all the bad things that can eventually happen do happen, that they'll be okay. They'll be seen as fellow travelers. But I really don't think that's the case. Uh, would would you feel like that's uh, an accurate statement? Well, you know, it's so true. Um, what, what's so interesting is that uh, two weeks ago, the first meeting ever with the new Select Committee on China – in the House, from both Democrats and Republicans, they both said, united, China is our number one enemy. We have got to decouple from China. It's crazy that we're dependent on our number one adversary for our supply chain. And they both said, Democrats and Republicans, you know, we underestimated China. We always underestimated China. But Curtis Ellis never underestimated China because it became clear, just as you said, that China is trying to weaken us, trying to change the world order, and it's all about the money. So, as Curtis Ellis said in the book, you know, Washington slept while China grew. And they slept because they made money. They're making money, and they sold out the American people. And uh, there's a very short time now to change that and change direction. And this is so important, and this is everyone needs to buy this book, Pandemonium by Curtis Ellis. Give it to their congressman, give it to the House of their senator, and hold people accountable. Yeah, uh, there's there's no question that is the major thing that's missing, regardless of what the topic is. When we're talking about politics, especially federal politics, the level of accountability has been absent for a long time. They write themselves back doors and ways out. But what's transpiring here is, is so insidious. And again, uh, Curtis lays out uh, exactly how China has been going about their growth behind the scenes. They're literally buying influence around the world, and they're doing that again primarily through business that they're conducting with the American audience. We have Hollywood that bends over backwards to try to accommodate them for movie releases. We have the NBA that bends over backwards to try and uh, pretend as though, uh, well, Taiwan is uh, – they're, they're not an independent country. They, they are still just part of China. And all of this is clear in front and, and, and so easily seen for anybody that takes the time to look. And as more people are starting to realize it, maybe we can get to that accountability. You talked a little bit about the common sense approach to communist China, part of the plans, uh, the, the plan that's laid out. It, invo it involves holding American politicians accountable, and it also holds uh, – involves holding China accountable, uh, an effort to defund them, meaning taking back control of our uh, business influences there, and then uh, just restoring our own economic independence. All these things seem uh, pretty straightforward, seem pretty common sense, but unfortunately, uh, it feels like we live in a time where the term common sense has become an oxymoron. Well, all these things you said are chapters in Curtis's book, how to hold China accountable, how to defund China. You know, and it's so interesting that some guy in Montana looks up 
at the sky and sees a Chinese spy balloon that's been hovering over our missile silos for days. And all of a sudden, America wakes up. But Curtis Ellis would say, this is, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They've just gotten more brazen by doing this. And that our first wake-up call was really the pandemic when we saw that they had our pharmaceutical supply chain, that we are completely dependent on them, that we're dependent on China for everything. And they are going to take back Taiwan, and the U.S. is going to be involved in that. And we're funding them. We're, we're fu- we've made them into a technological power. The State Department says they are more advanced than us. We've made them into a military power. I mean, they're stronger than us militarily. They have more ships. We have to stop defense. Stop funding our own demise, exactly as you said, and everything in this book and the way to do it. Yeah. Well, we definitely need to make sure that people are picking up a copy of Pandemonium. There's probably not a better definitive book that explains exactly what's going on and how to beat it. The problem is we're running out of time at this point if we really are going to counteract it. And with what we're seeing with the current administration uh, in D.C., it seems highly unlikely that uh, that that clock is uh, being slowed down any at all. If anything, they're running it a little fast. Uh, It's almost as if there is another agenda beyond just uh, dollar bills, almost as if there's more to – Uh, The accusations that involve connections between the Biden family and China, and I've often said point blank that I do believe that uh, that by all accounts that they're probably bought and paid for. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, I'm just saying that this is something I've said multiple times uh, with looking at how they handle and how the interactions are. But I still feel as if. Even with Biden being the current resident at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, that if the withdrawal from Afghanistan had looked even halfway competent, that there would still be a holding pattern going on in regards to China looking to further advance the regression and being so openly hostily aggressive, as opposed to uh, in the past under previous administrations, they were openly aggressive in their own areas you know if they were talking to an audience where they know americans probably aren't going to pay attention but now they're being openly hostile on the world stage and being belligerent directly towards the administration uh do you feel like how the afghanistan withdrawal was handled is part of this or was this just a case of china smelling weakness on the current administration Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think it's one in the same. I mean, the Afghanistan withdrawal was a total disaster, a total embarrassment, and and everyone has agreed on that. And, you know, Curtis Sellis says in the book Pandemonium, of, of course, China respects strength. That's how they've gotten forward. That's how they're going forward. You know, they are looking at us. They're looking at the way we handled the balloon, that we let it uh, come over and do this. They're, they're looking at the way we handled the withdrawal from Afghanistan and saying, well, uh, this is an easy target. So it's all, it's all feeding the China's master plan to weaken our country. And what could be more uh, stronger than these 
biggest general of the, the general Milley from the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying we have got to change direction. We have got to do something economically, militarily, and with our own democracy. I mean, we're not even we don't even have our own infrastructure with our navy uh, navy ships now. We've closed down ports the same way we've let. China take our manufacturing and three million jobs, so we don't have the ships. Are, and the way that China that China is going to get Taiwan is with na- with the Navy. All of our ships are being maintained. Not all our ships are being maintained now. Uh, they're in maintenance, and we don't have the ships to do anything. So it's a complete uh, disaster with the way that we're handling things. Not trying to win. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean. It's really, it's mind-boggling if you were to step outside of uh, the the current situation and just kind of look at it with fresh eyes. So many things that we've allowed to happen, that we've allowed to, to move to China's shores, to let them make on our behalf, even when there have been such... Uh, disastrous results attached to a lot of this. Uh, the dog food scare uh, just a few years back where all of a sudden uh, all of our pets were dying because, you know, they just they randomly did some stuff in the plants where they were making the dog food and eh, they didn't care. They knew what had happened. Uh, we, we had the evidence later released. Uh, the memos were released. They were aware and it was almost like they were testing the waters to see what the reaction would be. But to, to look at our pharmaceuticals, like you pointed out, uh, to look at how much of our uh, technology, uh, how much money that companies are making off of labor being over there. I mean, where would Apple computers be at today without Chinese labor? And what absolutely kills me the most in having to point that out is that the folks that love to have their iPhone absolutely hate the fact that America is so systemically racist and yet you point out to them that first of all uh, they might be exaggerating a little bit when it comes to systemic racism but they're literally using slave labor in China to make those iPhones so cheap Uh, they're literally using slave labor and the accosting of folks that are by every definition of the word and oppressed people, whether you're talking about the Muslim Uyghurs or even just Christians that are uh, living and operating in China, uh, they're both treated very poorly by the CCP. Uh, when you were going through uh, the first time that you read the final draft of uh, a pandemonium, was there any part that stood out to you the most as being the most shocking, or did it just kind of feel like all of that was stuff that you kind of knew but just hadn't seen or heard it expressed in that way, so it just became more compelling? Well, you know, that's a great question. I found it shocking, and I, and I did not think I would. And some of the things that I found shocking, uh, the, the pervasive way that China has been doing things to our country. I mean, even to the point of how the Confucius universities have they brought over students here to spy on us, uh, to uh, professors at universities being criminally charged and now in jail for passing on information, to the way that uh, money has has been the evil uh, power as it, as it always 
is or is so is so much so much of the time for Wall Street and corporate America to just sell out the American people. And I tell you, what's really shocking, or for me, uh, maybe amazingly hopeful, is that. Curtis called out every single thing. And he also was showing how even the people who were saying, oh, yeah, well, now with, with China, we've got to do something that you can't just do one thing or this or that, that it has to be something where you stop feeding the dragon. We've created this big monster and that we have to take back our power and start feeling patriotic again so that you don't have these people who are buying the Apple, all the Apple products. Products and uh, that and have it accountable that it, that things have to be made here. That when you buy something that's made in China, we we as American citizens have a responsibility to say this was made by a child. This was slave labor. This took a job. This took job away from someone. This took food away from a family. That we all have a responsibility for it. So the whole perversive, pervasive thing and perversive that Curtis Ellis saw was shocking to me that I went, wow, they are really our enemy. And it's taken so long for the select House Committee on China to say, both Democrat and Republican, China is our number one enemy. Why isn't the government acting that way now? Why are we still collaborating with our number one enemy? And it makes no sense that our number one adversary has all the power of our supply chain and our food supply. And when they take back Taiwan, they can cut off our pharmaceuticals in a second. Yeah, not just the pharmaceuticals, but that is where the most high-tech computer chips come from. Uh, they have essentially cornered the market, and one of two things is going to happen – uh, when they do take Taiwan, either the Taiwanese people in a last-ditch effort of defiance are going to blow up all of the uh, internal capabilities to create these current next-gen chips that are the secrets to our computer advancement, uh, or uh, they're going to have to uh, find some other way to prevent it from falling into the hands of uh, the CCP. Now, they make a lot of computer chips in China proper, but it's not the the next gen chips and so that's part of why they're so determined now more than ever to retake taiwan and to bring them back as being part of china the way they've always looked at them and it is just this scary thought that we've become so disconnected from the rest of the world and so disconnected from reality that we can look the other way while China amasses this level of power and now makes friends with a country that before the Ukrainian conflict, they would have never been able to ally with one another. There was no reason uh, Russia and China were both looking at essentially the same task. They still believed themselves, at least leadership did, to be destined to be the dominant power on the planet. Now, China sees an opportunity as that looks like Russia's on the ropes. Russia's technology and military capabilities were not what they were uh, led, what we were all led to believe. They had done a really good job of bluffing for a long time. Otherwise, it would be very hard to come up with another explanation for why Ukraine's been able to hold out as long as they did before they started getting the level of military aid that they were getting. But uh, despite these uh, geopolitical squabbles here and there, 
China recognized this opportunity, and they recognized the, the chance to use a former adversary to better strengthen their own position, to further weaken a stronger adversary, and you know, essentially to use them and then toss them when they don't need them anymore. Exactly right. Exactly right. And we should all be concerned that uh, the U.S. is not going to sit back when when China tries to take Taiwan. So this could really end up in a very scary, frightening war. And we all have to now do something about it and make sure this doesn't happen. And by pandemonium, by Curtis Ellis, which has the solution. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh at this point, uh, Maxine, I want to thank you again so very much for your time this evening. You've been very generous with it, and I, I love the discussion point, and I love the book. Uh, I had actually uh, had a copy a while back, and I'd lost it, and then I got a digital copy to prepare, and I've been rereading the book again, and I forgot how much I really enjoyed it. Uh, I haven't gotten through my reread yet, but I will definitely be finishing it before it's all said and done because it is just too good. And uh, when you look back at how long ago we're actually talking in comparison to what's happening today, like you said, it has made that transition from being alarmist to being prophetic. There's no question about it. Uh, Curtis Ellis wrote a great book here. Everybody needs a copy. I will put a link in the show description for everybody that wants to follow it out and Trust me, it is well worth the read, even if you think you already know everything that's going on in this story. There's some stuff in here that you haven't even thought about, I promise you. Uh, Maxine, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, real quick, one more time, let everybody know where they can find the book for the folks that are just listening on air. And uh, feel free to share any websites you want to. And if you're inviting people to follow you on social media anywhere, uh, feel free to share any handles you'd like to throw out as well. Oh, thank you so much. It's a Pandemonium by Curtis Ellis, China's Global Strategy to Cripple America on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. Buy the book, Save America. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again. Godspeed to you. And, uh, you know, I would love to have an opportunity to sit and talk with you again if we can work that out. I would love that. You're a great economist. Oh, well, well, thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Miss Maxine Albert. Uh, she is trying to remind people that there is a great book out there that we need to have a copy of in our libraries. If you don't, go get it. It is called Pandemonium, China's Global Strategy to Cripple America. And uh, with that, we'll kind of ease into resetting the hour, and on the other side, we will be joined, or at least I've got my fingers crossed, I think we will be, by Mr. Ken Crow, long overdue. And he's probably going to be mad at me that because I already had folks scheduled that he's only going to get about uh, about 25 minutes or so with us. Uh, it's I'm going to have to work hard to keep him on task. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be back after this. This is Matt Fitzgibbons from PatriotMusic.com, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth.
This is Tim Tapp, the ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host of Tap Into The Truth that you can hear right here, J-Star and the Vera Networks, Fridays, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. America, this is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap Tap into the Truth. All right, let's try that again. Live radio is fun for a lot of reasons, and that's just one. We doubled up on that, and you know what? I, I like it. I dig these lighters, especially the new funky ones and then the classics, and that one is a classic. Before we jump into anything else, we are diving headlong into hour number two of tonight's live broadcast. And if you are here live, thank you so very much for being here. I certainly appreciate it. But you know what? If you're listening after the fact to the podcast, I appreciate that too. So, uh, you know, keep listening. That, that's the message. Before we uh, bring on our guest... I do have something to mention to you first and foremost, and that is a word from our sponsor. You see, before last month, we were heading into spring, and we're we're in spring now, and we were concerned then about the storms that are coming, and of course you heard the news at the top of the hour, there's another major storm system coming through. So having backup power generation is important. But now... Having power isn't the only thing you need to be concerned about. See, right now we've got experts warning us that China is hoarding a massive amount of food. According to those experts, China will very soon have nearly two-thirds of the world's corn reserves, over half of the rice that the world has available, and over half of the world's wheat. Ask about it, China's going to lie. In truth, the fact that the numbers we have are estimates based on what they've admitted to means that it's probably numbers that are going to be much higher. So then you have to ask yourself, what is it exactly that China knows that we don't? Well, I can tell you when it comes to global food shortages, China is the canary in the coal mine. They are the world's number one food importer. They rely on the rest of the world to keep their people fed. So what does that mean for regular, everyday, average Americans like you and me? Well, two words, my friends, food shortages. That's why it's a smart idea to stock up on survival food. We're talking about emergency food for emergency purposes. We're talking about some of the best-selling four Patriots kits rated to last for 25 years if need be. You can create your own stockpile of the survival food kits from four Patriots. These are hand-packed in the USA. They're compact. They stack easily. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, not to mention a ton of five-star reviews that just absolutely rave, rave about the taste Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriot Survival Food by typing code TAP at checkout. That's T-A-P-P. 
Just go to fourpatriots.com, use code TAP to get 10% off your first purchase of four Patriot survival food. That's the number four patriots.com. Use code TAP. T A P P. All right, I'm getting the uh, signal from Doug that as of right now, Ken has not yet joined us. So uh, we'll see if we can maybe get connected with him shortly. Uh, he he was actually very, very excited about coming on and talking. Uh, he'd recently written uh, his solution and posted it, of course, over at Conservative Daily Briefing uh, in regards to how do we keep our kids safe in schools. And I really – I don't want to go too in-depth with it because this feels like a conversation that needs to be had with Ken. He was making a very strong case. It's not a lot different than things that we've discussed here on the show as far as solutions to the problem. But there were a few tweaks that he had made that make it uniquely his, and that makes it well worthwhile. I did share it on social media. In fact, I'm pretty sure – I'm. I don't remember if I put it on Locals, but I think I did put it pretty much everywhere else that I'm uh, active. So there's a really good chance that if you haven't seen it and you're not real sure how to get the conservative daily briefing, which, you know, not hard, conservativedailybriefing.com. But uh, if, you, if you're if you one of the folks who follow me, either the show or me personally on social media, you can probably scroll down my page and find it easy enough too. And I'm, I'm going to peek in on Doug real quick again. Still no Ken, still no Ken. Well, I don't know what's going on with Ken and, uh, I, I'm hopefully everything's okay. You know, ultimately, that's my big question, and I hope he's not confused again about the time. We did have an issue last time he was supposed to be on because he got confused with the time, but I was pretty clear about it when I was talking to him. Doug was very clear about it when they were communicating earlier. So again, something must have popped up. Uh, Ken's not the type of guy that would just leave us hanging for no reason. So hopefully, uh, everything's okay. I really don't want to go too in-depth into another topic, though, in case he does uh, hook up and uh, connects us, but I guess I can't just sit here and stall for the next uh, 20 minutes or so. That would not be great radio, <laughs> and you know, it's really not my style to stall for too long anyway. So, what do you say we do talk about something a little bit concerning shall we what we've got going on in the response and i touched on this a little bit the other night and i really didn't get into it too far on the tuesday night show but the response from the media and from the politicians in regards to the shooting that took place in nashville just a few hours drive from where i'm at made headlines because at first it was an attack on school children. So you know the left was going to use this in some way. Then we discovered that the shooter was actually a transgender person, which, by the way, several mainstream legacy media outlets have now forbade the use of the word transgender when reporting on this story. Again, because that part hurts their narrative. 
but they fall into this category. This was going to be guns are killing children and Republicans are standing in the way. Republicans are standing with the gun lobby. Republicans are standing with the gun manufacturers. Republicans want you to be shot. Except, uh, you know, that's not really the case. I'll remind everybody once again, the narrative here, unlike what we saw in Uvalde, Texas, and I really, really don't think that what happened in Uvalde is very uh, emblematic of what would happen in most of Texas. But the police in Nashville approached this exactly the way you're supposed to approach a situation where you have a live active shooter situation in a school. You go towards the gunshots and you engage as quickly as possible and you either become their next target or you take them out before they can target someone else. They did exactly that. This young girl who wants to be a guy, wanted to be a guy, I guess doesn't really want anymore anything. She literally, she looked, and I've said this before, and I haven't gotten any pushback on the idea. If you've seen the, the footage of her shooting her way into the uh, school and then her clearing the halls and moving around, you know, we, we've heard about the manifesto and we heard about how she had planned this out. But the way she's moving, she doesn't look like military. She doesn't look like paramilitary. She looks like she was playing Fortnite. That is the look that this girl wants to be a guy had. They had already had this transgender day of vengeance scheduled and had been called for. And evidently now there's some discussion about whether it's actually going to happen. Evidently too many of us normies uh, know it's coming now. Uh, I would be very surprised if they still don't do something. Maybe not necessarily at the Supreme Court anymore like they were scheduled to initially, but we'll see something because we saw – a bunch of activists stormed the Tennessee Capitol building demanding gun control. Uh, as Matt Fitzgibbons very, very uh, aptly points out, gun control is using both hands. That's the only gun control that our Constitution will permit, and the more you try to change that, the more you're going to get pushback from regular, law-abiding American citizens. We do not have the tolerance for you to continue to punish law-abiding citizens by trying to criminalize our God-given, constitutionally protected rights. Oh, but Tim, guns are killing people. A gun is an inanimate object. A gun is a tool to be used by a person. We even had the quiet part said out loud the other day. I, I forget exactly who it was because it was a just a, kind of a drive-by clip, but we heard the discussion, uh, and this one lady pundit – I don't know if she's a pundit or if she was a reporter. I, like I said, I forget. I just heard it, saw the clip. I've moved on since then. But she said, pronouns don't kill people. People with guns kill people. And you see, that she, she did say the quiet part out loud. She just didn't say the rest of the quiet part because, yes, people with guns kill people, some of them, not, not all. In fact, not even most, a very small percentage, actually. But people with knives kill people. Uh, people with hammers kill people. People 
with the use of their bare hands and enough anger and hatred in their hearts, kill people. Again, not all, not even most, barely even some. But at least she said that much of the quiet part out loud. People with guns, not the guns themselves, people. People kill people. The inanimate object, you sit there, you leave it alone, it's not doing anything. The left is so far off the rocker, and they're desperate to push gun control now, louder and harder than they ever had, because they can't let people stop and think what is really going on in the so-called trans community. Four of the last six mass shooting events have been actions taken by people that both identify differently than the standard uh, two-gender conformity platform, trying to merge their language and actual English, and it doesn't work too well naturally. Now, not all of them have identified as transgendered, but three of the four did. There was some level of sexual confusion regardless. And in two of the cases, they had been involved with long-term psychological uh, assistance. They'd been treated for psychological issues other than this woman who wanted to be a dude that shot up the school that killed nine-year-olds did this because she supposedly was part of the uh, somewhere on the autism spectrum. Now, that's not the reason that did it. What did it? Do, do what? What did it was the fact that uh, people that do suffer from autism, they tend to distrust most authority figures, but the authority figures they do trust, they trust them enough to take them at their word even when it doesn't make sense, and that leaves them open to confusion, and that just makes things worse. Now, rather than going further down this uh, topic, we've got about 15 minutes left, and we now do have Ken Crow with us. So, Ken, uh, first and foremost, thank you so very much for joining us today. How the heck are you, my friend? Well, we're alive. We survived the big tornado outbreak that's been going on for the last four or five hours, so that's good. Uh, yeah, that is definitely good. <laughs> Illinois is being pounded, Missouri is being pounded, and Arkansas. We had uh, two more towns wiped out today from tornadoes, like the one that got hit in Mississippi recently, last week. Bad stuff going on out there, Tim. Keep your head low. Uh, definitely. Between the uh, man-caused stuff and the... Uh stuff that almost kind of feels like wrath of God. <laughs> and that's kind of what some of this has looked like in some of these towns being so completely wiped out. Uh, I had I had hated to have to keep you uh, so 
short because ordinarily we get together and we talk for the better part of an hour. Uh, but I already had folks scheduled for tonight, but I didn't want to miss an opportunity to schedule you when the, the slot opened back up and uh, you had been excited about wanting to come on. You uh, had released a story over at Conservative Briefing, uh, Conservative Daily Briefing, uh, where you laid out a plan to get our children safe in schools. And I definitely wanted to talk yeah. to you a little bit about that. And if we still have time left, I would love to talk a little bit about the Trump indictment. But I think we'll probably... Uh, be a little shortchanged on at least one of those topics, given the time we have left. Uh, first of all, Ken, I, I read the article. I loved uh, everything that you laid out there. Uh, you included some things that have been kind of suggested, but very rarely suggested together. And then you threw in some very unique ideas of your own that uh, really laid out to be an actual plan. Uh, would you like to tell the listeners what your idea in a nutshell really is? Well, basically the idea is we have in this nation hundreds of thousands of retired Marines, police officers, deputy sheriffs, Army soldiers, ground troop guys. All of these people were highly trained in weapon usage. My idea was pretty simple. It would run about, if you put three of these gentlemen in each school in America, I've forgotten the number, Tim, uh, what, what, what we have 115,000 schools. So if you put three of these guys in each school, you'd have roughly 350,000 of them. Pay each one of them $25 an hour. But before we do, they get properly vetted, background checked, the entire nine yards. Then they have to go through a two week training, uh, cycle with the FBI on, you know, how to handle yourself in school. You know, because all the students get to know these guys. Uh, my my children had some of these. They're called SRO officers at their school uh, in their latter years in high school, and uh, they loved them. They got along great with them. The guys loved them. Uh, they'd break up a fight in the hall. You know, they'd go get in the middle of it and send everybody to class, and. Um, and they do very well in these schools, but the children feel safe. They're all armed. They all have a big gun on their hip. They all have a badge and uh, put them to work. It would cost us roughly 18 billion a year to do this. And my argument is while we're sending 75 and 100 billion to Ukraine, surely we can find 18 billion out of a $4 trillion budget of which a lot of it's waste anyway. Why can't we do this? It would instantly. Now I realize that a lot needs to be done to to uh, to clean up a lot of things, but this would instantly protect the children. We lock the schools down. You have one way in, one way out. Okay. Now, in the event of fire, we we reinstall the kind of doors where the kids nobody can come in from outside, but the kids can get out from the inside, okay? Put, uh, re, uh, reinstall bulletproof glass in the glass doors because that girl shot the glass out the other day. Uh, they, they take glass and they treat it with a special film that makes it bulletproof. But we could do all of this for a fraction of what we spend on foreign aid. 
and and things like that, Tim, and and our kids would be safe. And I guarantee you, we would have these gentlemen lining up down the block to become an SRO officer to school and protect children. Guarantee you. Oh yeah, I mean these the are men that have served the country that in a lot of cases are still looking for ways that they can continue to serve and be a vital part of the community. Sure. And there's a clear need here. And, and I don't have any doubt at all. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these folks would be willing to volunteer to do it, even with everything involved. Now, again, you say, don't, don't let them volunteer. Let's, let's make them paid uh, employees. Let's let them actually uh, get all of the respect that they would be due for having done this. And I'm on board with that. But I, I really do think a lot of these folks that you point out in, in particular would be perfectly content to do this on a volunteer basis if we would let them. And that's why I think it's important to make sure that, hey, we don't give you that option. We want you to sign up. But we're going to pay you because this job is too important. You're protecting our most precious asset, our future. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, uh, I firmly believe this needs to be done sooner rather than later. It, it, this has got to stop. You know, we, we've had a uh, saw an interesting article the other day, I believe it was an AP wire service a couple of days ago, that uh, since Columbine, we've had 175 children murdered in schools in this country. And that that's obscene. That is utterly obscene. Yeah. We, we we've got to put a stop to this. Yeah, and, that's, and this that is, is the best way to do it. Fun, funny thing about a guy, a bad guy with a gun, they don't usually like to see good guys with guns. And when you're shooting and you're getting shot back at, most people don't handle that real well. Yeah. And these it's guys good. would have no fear in doing that. Uh, that's why a lot of times schools are a target. Most schools are no-gun zones. So unless you have a uh, school resource officer available, they typically don't have to worry about it much. Uh, and, and it is a shame that we have this issue. Uh, when we see these young kids get snuffed out like this, it's understandable that there's an emotional response. It's understandable how some people that are typically strong Second Amendment folks uh, are moved to say, okay, uh, we, we clearly have to do something. But it only takes a little bit of time and a little bit of removal from that initial emotion before you start realizing that everything that the left tries to offer up as a solution, it, it completely not only infringes on your God-given constitutionally protected rights, uh, but it also deprives you of due process, which is something that we really we're, we're struggling to try to hold on to. So a solution like what you're offering them here goes a really long way. We really need to put more good guys with guns in between the innocent people that would be targets otherwise and the uh, bad guys with the gun. And we really have to understand that the rule is very simple. It doesn't matter what laws you pass. The, only the law-abiding people are going to care. Criminals don't care about the law, or they wouldn't be criminals, right? Well, that's absolutely right. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but you had somebody uh, shot and killed there in your own county yesterday. 
that had gone to an auto body shop and shot it up and killed a person and wounded two or three others. And uh, this guy had just been let out of jail yesterday morning at 1030. Yeah. And he went back that afternoon, yesterday afternoon, and was shooting a business up. And one of our brave Tennessee state troopers shot and killed him. Yeah, it, it's one of those situations that? that it does show the absurdity of uh, a system. Uh, literally bonded out by 1030 and was mad at the uh, woman that was involved, the one person that died, and uh, ended up shooting two other people, two guys that were trying to intervene on her behalf. And then he ends up being the first, fourth person that got shot. It did take a state trooper to take him down. I don't know that he was even the uh, first officer on scene. I know he was one of the first. But again, it shows exactly the same mentality that we saw with the Nashville uh, uh, officers involving with the school shooting. They handled it the right way. When you know there's an active shooter situation ongoing, you go and you intervene. You either uh, give them a new target protecting the innocent or you take them out before they have a chance to target somebody else and that's what makes being a police officer such a big freaking deal when you have people that can live up to that standard that are willing to put their lives on the line it's really really an astounding thing and we take that for granted way too often uh, I just I know every time I hear somebody say they want to defund the police I want to punch them square in the mouth and now I've got another reason to show them why now, not saying that I will, and I'm not encouraging violence, Ken, but that is how I feel when I hear people say it. Well, I I think we're having, I'm in the middle of writing an article right now, speaking of violence. Uh, the fact is, and we need to carry this conversation on, uh, uh, I guess, at a later date, but uh, it's time MAGA Nation stand up. We, we're going to have to stand up now and put a stop to this because if we don't, we're losing our country. As simple as that. We're going to have to stand up, put a million people on the mall in Washington, D.C., peacefully protest, put hundreds of thousands on the streets of New York City come Tuesday afternoon and peacefully protest. Uh, we need to show the the Democrats that we're here, we're fearless, and we're not going away. Because if we don't, this is about to turn really ugly, and we're not going to be able to get our country back. It's we now do at the same time have to be very careful not them. to be goaded into something, too, because that's the other side of the equation. They would love nothing more than to try and claim that we're involved in a violent insurrection. Ken... Uh, we've got to take a break. I hope you'll hang on the line with us. I, I've got another guest that's sure. been confirmed to be on, but I don't know that we've made contact yet. And if we haven't, uh, then maybe we can continue on as we continue into the uh, second half of this hour. So if you'll hang on with us, just hang out a little bit. We might be sure. bringing you back on you if that's okay. Uh, all right, guys, remember, go visit conservativedailybriefing.com. That's where you can find Ken's work. And uh, we'll be right back after the mid-hour break. Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tapp 
and tap into the truth. Right here, right now, there is no other place I want to be. Right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. Since its inception, the Democrat Party has been an organization hell-bent on wreaking havoc against our liberties, economy, and, more recently, in direct opposition to our national security. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, while I am speaking truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, concerning the Democrat Party, it is obviously nothing more than a subsidiary of the Chinese Communist Party. I believe there are no longer any well-meaning liberals in the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party is today a cataclysmic cauldron of wicked far-left lunatics seeking to literally kill liberty, destroy the economy, and assist China in its effort to dominate what remains of our beleaguered republic. The Democrat Party agenda is now 100% based upon the evil doctrine of Karl Marx with increasingly heavy-handed tactics that Chairman Mao would be proud of to see here in the United States. Democratic legislators and Joe Biden do not serve on behalf of the best interest of we the people. If it's good for America, Democrats oppose it. What's bad for America, the Democrats support it. The wide open borders and illegal border crossing invasion is self-evident of that fact. I say we stop the demented Democrats before they kill our republic. I'm Ron Edwards. See you on the next page from the Edwards Notebook. These stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. In other words, put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bimonthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning Homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. 
In under just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. We're also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. This is Matt Fitzgibbons. This is Amy Hallam. This is AZ. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was just a few of the people that hang out in the chat room on the regular. And uh, yeah, we are sharing Friday night together. We're in the home stretch now, second. Uh, Second half of the second hour, and the fun has only just begun. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we do have on the line with us uh, Mr. Ian Pryor. He's, of course, one of the most recognizable voices in the parents' revolution that's been sweeping the country. He began his career as an attorney uh, after graduating from Boston University School of Law. He transitioned into politics in 2011, working with various Republican campaigns before serving as the top spokesman at the Justice Department. He has been fighting for our schools since before he was a parent. He is one of the most recognizable folks in the fight against the schools in Loudoun County, Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said, welcome to the show, Mr. Ian Pryor. Uh, Ian, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us this evening. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I'm excited to get to talk to you tonight. Uh, you've recently written uh, the book Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Uh, I think that's something that each and every one of us needs some insight on. So glad to have you on board. Uh, let me... Uh, I think I kind of already covered the primary reason that uh, brought you into the fight, but what was the tipping point for you to realize that it was time to get personally involved and start pushing back against the indoctrination that's being done instead of education? Well, you know, there were a couple of tipping points. I mean, I think the first one was realizing that that our school system had spent half a million dollars uh, to, to bring in equity consultants implement equity into our schools based on you know this this mirage of of systemic racism that they of course found the need to fix um and you know i wrote an article about that in the federalist and you know that certainly concerned me and you know i later learned that they were they maintained this equity um company at a price of 625 dollars an hour for two years to do all these teacher trainings and whatnot but you know what really i think motivated me happened in march of 2021 where here you had a group, they were called the Anti-Racist Parents of Loudoun County, private Facebook group. You had six school board members in there, hundreds of people, administrators, teachers, and they, they created essentially an enemies list of parents that were pushing back on the use of critical race theory in, in schools. And they wanted to you know, infiltrate these parent groups. They wanted to publicly expose them with you know, God knows what 
they wanted to uh, even hack their websites and redirect them to pro critical race theory websites. And, you know, I just I just found that repulsive. Um, and I thought that if these are the people that that are one running our schools and two influencing the people that run our schools, you know, we have some real problems. I mean, they're building a culture of victims. And when you build victims, you build resentment and you know the consequences that follow. And, you know, from there, we, we really just took off running and, and we're you know, determined to shine a spotlight of accountability on Loudoun County Public Schools, which, you know, I think we did. And I think ultimately led to a change in power in, in the governorship, the attorney general, lieutenant governorship. And I think motivated a lot of people across the country to look at what was going on in their schools. Um, so, I, you know, I decided to write a book about it and, and tell our story, but also tell it through the lens of the different strategies and tactics and philosophies that we used in our fight. Right. And uh, in in this process, though, when you were first formulating these strategies, uh, what would you say you felt like was the most uh, most surprising thing that you actually had to do in order to push back? Because, like you said, some of this was appalling. Some of it was a little surprising. Uh, but I think if you've been paying attention and clearly you have been in positions where you've seen the uh, left-leaning control of higher education. You've seen the efforts to to further <clears throat> dig down into the first the high schools and then the uh, elementary schools, and they keep trying to get the, these kids younger and younger so that they can separate children from the ideas of their parents and uh, make it a lot harder for them to be brought back to uh, the realm of reality, if you will. I mean, that's I use these terms kind of bluntly myself because clearly it's a fantasy world they're trying to promote to these uh, children. And in the process, they're they're really willing to even commit crimes to cover up their actions. But we'll we'll get there in a minute. Uh, was there anything that you were surprised you actually had to do to counter them? Um, I mean, I found the whole thing surprising, to be honest with you. You know, I think that we really, you know, we, we had a campaign to remove these school board members that were part of this group. And, you know, our, our focus was was playing by the rules. And, you know, it's like hit hard, hit often, but, but hit legally. And that's what we did. And we focused on, you know, what the laws allowed us to do. We focused on freedom of speech and our ability to go to school board meetings or go to the media and, and point out what elected officials were doing in their capacity of elected officials. Um, but what was surprising then, but certainly not surprising now, is how the left operates. And and they don't care about rules. And, and they will they will fight dirty. They will go for your knees. They will go for your head. They will they will do whatever it takes. And and their rhetoric, I mean, it, it's appalling. They can't debate the issues. They refuse to debate the issues. They just hide behind keyboards um, and and attack people. But you know, I mean, you see it this week where where you know people are talking about you know trans genocide, right? I mean, if you if you think at school that biological boys should use boys' rooms and biological girls should use girls' rooms, but then you're committing trans genocide. I mean, just think about that. Think about the rhetoric where, where you're essentially telling a crew of, of people that you know may have some, some mental issues that there are people out there that want to kill you. Well, guess what? When, when you inspire somebody um, with that kind of rhetoric, they, they end up taking action on that, and you see it with people that you know you think are, are normal people they present as normal people but they're extremely hateful and then they project that hate on on their opponents and and try and flip the script but they're not very successful at it because we were very focused on the issues on the law on you know maintaining a respectful decorum while at the same time pushing back hard yeah well it feels to me like 
despite the, the great effort you guys put forth, that the message still isn't getting across because we still see things going on in different school districts within Virginia. And I said at the time that, make no mistake about it, when the news broke about what was going on in Loudoun County, that stuff like this was literally going on all across the country. And it really feels to me like one of the best things that ever happened as far as parents' relationships to the education of their children was the COVID lockdowns because more people got to see what was actually going on in these classrooms. Uh, do you feel like that actually did work to your advantage with what you were doing as well? More people were aware before you even had to really get activated to the next level to show what they didn't know? Yeah, I, I think two, there are two reasons why I think COVID um, really brought parents to the forefront. One, I mean, you had a lot of people that were pushing to open schools and that they, they organized and so you had the the prototype of, of parental organizations that had already formed to try and reopen schools and then two you had parents you know sitting at home watching as as their kids are, are on their zoom or their their google chromebooks and, and seeing exactly what was being taught and then when you know we had that inflection point where you know you had you know, hundreds of people trying to or in a group at least where you know dozens of people were trying to cancel others, I think it, it was a ready-made um, apparatus for for parents to to really join together and work together and utilize everybody's skill sets. I mean that's one of the things that, that we learned. I mean we had you know one one woman who was a fantastic organizer and that was her role. We had others that were really good investigators. We had others that were really good spreading the message on television on the radio, in the community, and we had others that, you know, understood the laws that schools are governed by um, probably better than the, the school lawyers themselves. And so, we, you know, we were able to lead a, a group of people um, that I think galvanized the community. But you're right. I mean, they, they are doubling down. And I think that, you know, one lesson I learned is that they will, they will overextend and that they, will, they will do things that will ultimately turn off the population at large. And I think that's what they're doing now. I mean, I think you look around and, and parents, you know, parents that maybe were not thinking about this two years ago, even when the fight was at its, at its heaviest, certainly here in Virginia, I think they're, they're overreaching so badly in so many places that they're going to just rally more and more people either to leave public schools or to, or to push back. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate is you took some of the more successful tactics that – Normally, these folks that lean to the left, uh, what they try to use against uh, conservatives in these arguments and to, to justify their actions or hide from their actions, you took a lot of their, their more effective tactics and you turned it around on them, and they really weren't able to hide the way they used to. We've seen efforts to bully folks. Uh, we even saw the, uh, the memo that was bounced between the administration and the National Teachers Association uh, to the Justice Department where they were literally looking at trying to chill parents from being involved with these school boards out of fear of being labeled a domestic terrorist. Uh, during your fight here, uh, did you have any direct interactions from the federal government or the Justice Department or uh, maybe an indirect uh, uh, contact that definitely felt like you were being – not outright silence, but that it was being heavily insinuated that maybe it was time to walk away. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, the, um, the the NSBA memo that you referenced that went to the Justice Department. One of the incidents that they cited was the arrest of you know a dad at a Loudoun County School Board meeting, 
And, you know, many people didn't know at that time, by the time the NSBA memo came out, I, I did know the story. And, you know, that dad's daughter was, was sodomized in a bathroom by a gender-fluid male in May of 2021. And, you know, he was provoked at a school board meeting by one of these so-called anti-racist parents of Loudoun County, which we refer to as Chardonnay Antifa up here. And um, he got angry and it got, got heated. And, you know, uh, a sheriff's deputy put his hand on his shoulder. He kind of swatted back. And one thing led to another and they, they brought him to the ground. Um, but it, we, we later learned that... Um, they, they moved this kid to another school, and um, he committed a second sexual assault where he you know, brought a, dragged a girl into a classroom, um, tried to choke her, and then sexually assaulted her. And that, that story broke in October of 2021, and it really was, I think, a, um, a moment where people realized that the things we had been talking about were, were true, that, that these schools were putting their political agendas not just ahead of academic achievement, but also school safety. And, and in fact, the superintendent lied about this at a school board meeting when he was asked if there were sexual assaults. That was prior to the second sexual assault. And um, he was indicted this year, or last year, I'm sorry, in December. And he's going to face trial for, for his dishonesty uh, this summer. So, you know, we, we certainly did get a measure of justice. The victims got a measure of justice, or hopefully will get a measure of justice. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it, it shows how once parents kind of break through and realize, look, they're going to come after you. They're going to call you every name in the book. They're going to call you horrible things. But once you push past that, you realize that every tactic they use can be flipped back right against them, and they will have no answer for it because they're not used to getting pushback. Yeah, and that's part of what makes them even more dangerous. Uh, they're not accustomed to it. They don't like it when it happens. And then when it does happen effectively, they have to double, triple, and quadruple down because they don't know how to just step back and take the loss and start trying to rebuild it. But it does seem to be something that's very different by today's political left compared to the political left of just a decade ago. They used to be willing to play the long game. They used to be willing to pay attention to which way the wind was blowing. And now they just seem to think that they've gone too far to, to take those steps back now and try to regroup. Uh, as you continue to be one of those leading voices, you've also been very adamant to tell people point blank you cannot – rely on winning one time because these folks aren't going to take a loss setting down they honestly believe what they're doing uh, is what they should be doing and in the process that means that if you do beat them back a little bit uh, that they're just going to be sulking and planning and that they will be back and they will try to be uh, sneaky about it so what's your biggest concern uh, moving forward in regards to this fight, uh, do we have we gotten enough wins to, to make them go into a cooling down period, or is this a case where they're likely to uh, move forward more aggressively before they're willing to accept that Americans' parents have been activated? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you talked about kind of stepping back, and, and that was one of my biggest fears, that, that they would engage in strategic retreat. And, and, you know, that, that tends to cool um, tempers and, and lower the temperature, but they never did that. And, and I thought that was a, a crucial mistake on their part, and they just keep going and going and going, which means that, you know, it's important to, to never relent because 
you know, you'll you'll win a tactical battle here and there, and then they'll just keep moving forward, and you need to keep pressing forward. I mean, again, with with what we saw this week, where you know you you have a school shooting, and unlike other cases where you know you see the media and the left always focusing on the motives, um, no, this time they're they, they're essentially saying, well, you know, the the killer is a victim too, um, and they just double down on it, and and I think that woke a lot of people up this week, saying, wait a minute. Instead of focusing on, you know, the motives and, and wondering if, if the rhetoric that, that's going on around there maybe had some something to do with this or, you know, maybe we're pushing this too far and we're not really looking at, at things from, from different sides, they just double down. And I think that, you know, this, is, this week to me feels like a watershed moment where, you know, you now see the left fully exposed for what they are, which is they're not kind, they're not caring – they're not about accepting people. They're not about diversity and inclusion. They're about power. And and they're going to do everything in their power to keep that. And and in order to be successful, we need to keep building that coalition of people and not just Republicans, but but people that that actually value, you know, parental responsibility, parental oversight of how their children are raised and aren't willing to turn that over to state-run facilities that, that may have very different ideas from, from parents, because that is a dangerous place to be. Yeah, yeah I, I really do think that you're right. That coalition, one of the reasons you guys have been so successful is that it's not about uh, Republican-Democrat. It's not about conservative versus uh, political leftist. Uh, and I make that distinction rather than call them liberal because, you know, Ian, liberals – uh, are still the mm-hmm. folks that would yep. uh, defend to the death uh, our freedom to express ourselves rather than just silence us. So they're not liberals anymore. They're they're not even close to being a liberal, even if they want to claim that title. But this is about yeah. No, I yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think of right now, I think of a liberal as, as someone like Bill Maher, right? Where look, yeah, I mean, I may not agree with him on everything, but when it comes to freedom of speech. When it comes to the marketplace of ideas, when it comes to, you know, calling BS when you see BS and not, you know, exercising your heckler's veto, I think there are people out there that are these classical liberals that they need to step to the forefront and say, listen, what we're doing is incredibly dangerous. You can disagree on things, but you need to argue it out in a in a civil way, in a substantive way, because if we don't do that, then we are, you know, going to a place where – yeah, the point of no return, so to speak. I don't know if we're there yet, but it, it certainly seems that that the rhetoric over the past ten years, a lot of that has to do with social media and, and you know twenty four seven news cycles. Um, but you know, we, we need to figure out how to um, have civil debates and actually get to the bottom of these policies, uh, as opposed to just shooting people down and you know calling them racist or transphobes or you know whatever they they come up with. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, like I was saying, your coalition has been successful because you have people that typically would not have sided with conservatives or Republicans, but they've come to realize that their children are being targeted in a way that they didn't want to believe was happening before. And once they realize that the target is everybody and not just the political group that they try to other, that changes the uh, the calculus pretty quickly. 
Uh, Ian, again, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. You've been very gracious with your time. Uh, before we say our final goodbyes, though, I want to make sure that you have one more opportunity. Let everybody know where they can find your uh, book and uh, make sure that you share any other websites that you want to. And if you're inviting people to follow you on social media, share any of those handles you want to as well. Yeah, thank you very much. Anyone can buy Parents of the World Unite at you know, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, um, Target, Walmart. Uh, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Ian D. Pryor. And I appreciate you having me on. All right. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, keep up the good work, and it is very good work you've been doing. Uh, thank you so much for caring enough to do it. Uh, Godspeed to you, sir. And I hope we can get together and talk again sometime soon. Thank you very much. All right, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Ian Pryor, and the book is Parents of the World Unite. I will put a link in the show description that will take you to the Amazon version if you like. And uh, if there's room in the show description, because I do get limited on how much, how many characters I can put in, I'll uh, put a link to his website as well. In the meanwhile, that's going to pretty much take us to the final wind down tonight. We've only got a few minutes left. Uh, I hate that we had to cut things short with uh, Ken, and it ended up being cut even shorter than what I had hoped for initially because of the delay, which, as it turned out, had a lot to do with weather. And with all that being said, though, uh, that just means that there's still a lot more for us to talk about. And you know Ken. He will be around. We will get him back on and probably sooner rather than later. Tonight's been just jam-packed. And usually uh, we'll have these topics kind of blend together and forming a single narrative. But tonight, we were at different narratives, but there is still something that connects them all. And I wanted to see how many of you guys noticed that at first, because it looks like we were just all over the board, right? Every single one of tonight's discussion topics involved the illusions, the fairy tales that the political left had been trying to push on the American people. Not just America, by the way. People of the world, they have global designs, but America is being particularly targeted at the moment because we are the last remaining vestige of truly liberty-loving individuals. Now, we've got our friends to the north in Canada. We, we have our friends across the pond in the UK. There's a lot of Europeans that still believe in the ideas of liberty, but they don't have the power to push back against their governments, and they don't have governments that currently are willing to allow it. I don't know if you've been paying much attention to what's going on in Israel, but literally in Israel, they've had to slow down the effort to reform their Supreme Court, which has no limitations on its power. It's essentially a super legislative body, not a court. These efforts were designed to actually make it more democratic, and yet it's supposedly the folks on the left, the people that pretend like they love democracy, that are fighting against it. In each and every one of these cases, whether we're talking about climate change, whether we're talking about what's going on between China and Russia and how that affects the United States, whether we're talking about the shooting in Nashville and the media and the Democratic Party's reactions to that, 
or what we were talking about here involving parental rights and your ability to push back. It's all how the left is targeting our children one way or another. It's about making the Greta Thunbergs of the world to be frightened and scared to death of a climate apocalypse. It's about how we're led to believe that if we just keep giving all of our money, all of our financial power, and all of our military power, and all our technological power to China, that eventually they'll become good guys. None of that's going to happen. As long as we continue to further weaken ourselves, then they don't have to fight us. And by the time we realize what's actually happening, it's going to be too late. There are a lot of good voices out there that are speaking out against it, though. I'd like to pretend that mine is one of them, but I'm just somebody who's in really good company. In the meanwhile, we're going to have to let things go there because I definitely want you to think about all these things. I want you to go pick up some of these books, and I want you to have a great weekend. So remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and Especially, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Good night, everybody. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll get together and do it again next week. I'm out of here. Doug, you know what to do. Using both hands Founders knew the second amendment Was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact So we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Maureen, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well, I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my
is using both hands. <laughs> <laughs> 